Warning, Mombies will discuss information regarding true crime or other topics that are spooky in nature. This may be offensive to some listeners. For more information on the potential trigger warnings in this episode, please review our show notes and be cautious when listening. I'm Beth. I'm Christina. And I'm Holly. And we're the Mombies. That's a great question. Weird. Just just absolutely strange. How do you even do that? I feel like that's gotta mean something. Something, 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 something. Welcome back to the Mombies Podcast. I'm your host, Christina. And I'm Holly. <laughs> just kidding, it's uh, Beth. <laughs> you look like Beth. <laughs> Damn. Oh, trying to fool me. I tried. <laughs> Beth, how you been? How, what's going on? Pretty good. Anything, anything fun coming up? Uh, we do. We are going to the Backstreet Boys what? concert. Backstreet's back. All right. I'm so um, excited. You guys are so welcome for that. <laughs> Everyone's like, my ears. Yeah. So, uh, so all of our, not all of our friend group, there are a couple people who can't make it, but a, a good large portion, I think like seven or eight of us are going ten. to. Ten. Motherfucking ten. Ten. <laughs> uh, That's a crew. Right. Uh, are going to go and see who's the best singer and dancer. Uh it's probably Holly. I don't know. <laughs> it's not the singing part. It's not. Yeah, it's, be singing it's not. In French. French. Oh, Beth will be singing in French. I can't wait. No, I'm going to hold you to that, Beth. That's not how that works. <laughs> I can only do Celine Dion. Off key. <laughs> so we're, we're very excited. So uh, I, I'm making my shirt. So I'm trying to come up with oh, what I'm going to put on it. Like yeah, you know, I don't know what I'm putting on it yet. It probably won't be as cool as everybody else's. <laughs> I don't know about that. I, I, I did see. I saw Holly's. It's awesome, you guys. I'm not. We'll have to take some photos and put them up on yes, our socials. Yes. Of our, of our I'm not. Event. I'm also not fringing mine like Holly's because you know. Oh, I didn't know about me. the fringe. I'm excited. Gosh, that brings me back to like. I think exactly. it was it was it was I 12? I can't. All I know was there were braces involved, and there were many phone calls when the Millennium album came out, and they were going on tour. Me and my friends were like. Totally gonna get tickets. We did not get tickets. No. Oh my gosh, they oh my always God. sold out immediately, and you had the, oh. you had to dial each time. We legit. You know, okay, so. so a billion years ago, we all went. I don't think it was the Baxter Boys. It might have been another boy band who I can't name because you know competition and shit. But <laughs> we went and stood like at Schnooks and waited in line to fucking get tickets. Like you know, a minute ago. Uh, yeah, I've been I've been to I think all but maybe one of their tours. So oh, I'm, I'm memories. Real stoked about this. Also. Uh, I've, I, so I, I, my, my first introduction to them was, I told you, I told you guys anyway, earlier that my brother's best friend, which is my older brother too, uh, had like a TV show playing music videos. So he was big in the music industry. So he would always send like, um, you know, like sample tapes and stuff to us, Mm -hmm. to me, like for different, whatever. So my very first introduction to the Baxter boys was before they ever came out in the U S I had their little single, for we've got it going on. Oh my god! 
And then they didn't fucking come out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "What? but what happened to this band that I have this tape That's for that I really love? So didn't hear them for a long time. And of course, it's not like then you could like just get on the computer and look stuff up. Oh, right. So then one day, like, like whatever day of the week, must have been during the summertime or something, they were on like the Today Show, I think it was maybe, you know, where they're out like in New York playing on the stage outside. Yeah. Oh, right, right, right. Is yeah. that the Today Show? Like a, the Today Show. Yeah, that's on the It was right. one of those morning shows. Yeah, I don't fucking watch right. those. But anyway, I happened to turn my TV on and they were like, you know, up next, the Backstreet Boys. And I'm like fucking flipping out of my bedroom. And then, of course, it goes to commercial, which, you know, back when we had to watch fucking commercials. And then when it comes back, they sang Quit Playing Games With My Heart. So that's it. Like, that's, that's it. So I, so I found them then again. And I was like, oh, my God, they're finally in the U.S. There they are. They're here. And then I've just been in love since then. Oh, my God. So before we get started, though. Who came first? Was it NSYNC or Backstreet that came out? Backstreet. Okay. So before we get started, one question. Oh. Who's your guy? Okay. So that's tough because it used to be Nick. Okay. Okay. But I would definitely say AJ now. Oh. (laughs) All right. Holly, how about you? Brian. Oh, Brian. Brian, Brian is a good choice. Oh, he's Brian. baby a face. Beautiful Brian. voice. He's a beautiful and he's a beautiful man. He is yeah. a he is a beautiful he's man. Beautiful. He's I think I'm a little bit not religious enough for him. Also, oh, I mean, also yeah, all their wives same. are fucking beautiful, so it's not like I'm trying to, you know. Um but, but Brian, call me if but, you know, know when you're in town. <laughs> no. Oh yeah, wait, sorry. Wait for Holly. Uh, we're just gonna fucking fight. Pass we're gonna brawl. Um, so, so I was back then both an AJ and a Nick girl also. So you and I can work together. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. We can work together. We can, we can. I like that. I like that. Yeah. So anybody else who's listening, we'll cut a bitch. (laughs) Except for their wives. That's fine. It's cool. (laughs) They're all, their wives are all drop dead gore. Especially, I don't know if you've seen any of their wives. AJ is on TikTok. So he shares his all the time. His wife is fucking drop dead gorgeous. She's beautiful. I love it. And all their kids, of course, are gorgeous too. He's so fun. He is adorable. And I think that's like, that's part of what I love about him Same. is his energy. Is he just seems like he's so energy. fun to fucking hang out with. Yeah. So like AJ, if you want to be on the podcast, give us a call. Yeah. We would like back, backstage passes. Be, VIP, can we be VIPs? In, in two days before it airs, the next go round, you can be yeah. on the, or we can do a TikTok together, you know, whatever, something. Shout out Mombies. Pretty much have your people call our people. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That, that's it, though. You got anything for us, Christina? Or is that it? Just the Backstreet Boys? Oh, just the Backstreet Boys. And, you know, just a little bit of that flooding earlier this week, too. Oh, Jesus, the, the historic yeah. flooding in St. Louis. Got yeah. to make a special mention of that. Any of our St. Louis listeners, if, if you were affected, we are so sorry. Our yes. hearts go out to you. That was just awful. I know we, we've had a few friends that we've seen videos and stuff on facebook and i just i've been really thankful seeing their posts that they've had a lot of people showing up to help out and help clean their basement out and stuff but i love seeing the helpers that's always a restoration in in your faith in humanity for sure which we need right now which we definitely need (laughs) oh good all right well we're here for you reach out please absolutely all right so before we get into this i want to make you all aware this episode is a very heavy one uh this one this is your one major content warning there is a lot of tragic information to cover and situations that are very upsetting so please take care when listening when something bad happens to us we typically say something like it's always darkest before the dawn or this too shall pass we're anticipating a time of peace at the end of the struggles we are enduring But what if your young life is full of rain that continues to pour unrelenting? 
your childhood, eclipsed by suffering at the hands of those raising you, do you think you could look life in the face over and over again and say, I will overcome? Or would you crack under the pressure? Lisa McVeigh was a 17-year-old girl whose soul had been broken. She and her sister had, at different points, been abandoned by their mother in one in and out of the foster care system in their early in their early lives. And when Lisa was violated by a caregiver, <sighs> she was not even old enough to drive a car. And yet, the worst was yet to come. Oh my God! I know. Like I said, this is a heavy one. Oh. Lisa would collide paths with a dangerous and sadistic man whose life was spiraling out of control. She would endure torture with a strength that is nothing less than than admirable and nothing short of heroic. She could have cracked, and no one would have blamed her if she had. But instead, she used her life experiences and bravery as her glue, fusing the pieces of herself together so she would not fall apart. Lisa was born in March 1967 in Tampa, Florida, which is also where she subsequently grew up. There isn't a lot of information out there about her very early life, but what we can assume is that it wasn't a generally happy one. Lisa's mother was addicted to drugs and alcohol, and Lisa and her siblings were in and out of foster care in the early stages of their lives. At one point, Lisa does mention a brother, um, possibly even two brothers, but the only sibling we have any information on is her sister. And there really wasn't a whole lot of information at that. There wasn't a whole lot of stability or much of a home life. Lori McVeigh Diaz, Lisa's sister, would say in an interview that they were survivors from a very young age. They had to know how to survive. One source said that this, that they were terribly neglected in the foster care system, and at one point so malnourished and starving they would eat dog treats. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is speculation, however, um, but we do know they were mistreated. At the age of 14, Lisa and her sister were placed back in the care of their mother, but at this point, Lisa was forced by her mother to move in with her grandmother and her grandmother's boyfriend, where she believed she would be assisting with the care of an elderly relative. I don't think Lisa really knew her grandmother before moving in with her, yet she had no choice but to move in. And for the next three years, she would be molested and raped by her grandmother's boyfriend while he held, while he held a gun to her head. No! What the ah! fuck? Yeah. Oh, what a piece of shit. I mean, just there was no peace in her life at this point. She right. was just, she went from one situation to the next. Right. And then you think that you're safe. You think that you're going to a place where it's finally over and then it's fucking worse. Yep. Oh my God. I'm going to live with an elderly relative. I'll just, you know, do my time, take care of them. And yeah. the levels of trauma. The levels of trauma, indeed. Oh. I mean, that those are, those are layers to un- unpack. Oh. Yeah. Um, and, and during these attacks, her grandmother would be in eyeshot, gingerly smoking a cigarette in the next room. No. So she knew she was complicit. Uh. Oh, what a monster. Oh, I mean, truly. Oh How could God. you? And Lisa's sister, Lori, um, who did not live with the grandmother and boyfriend, in an interview, she talks about going over there to, to spend the night one night. And while she was there in Lisa's room, she felt a gun under the pillow. And Lisa just said he wasn't going to do to her sister what he had been doing to her. Oh. So she was protecting her sister. Oh, my God. Lisa had begun to believe there was nothing here for her in this life. And like how many of us would feel in her position, she just wanted her suffering to end. Little did she know the solution was not the one she had envisioned. In a cruel twist of fate, it would be a violent threat to her life that would make her realize that her life was, in fact, worth living and she wanted to live it. 
The following telling of events are terrifying, but I want to mention um, the quoted words from Lisa are from an episode I watched called Surviving Evil Series, Season 1, Episode 2, Nobody's Victim. Great episode. You get to hear uh, Lisa tell her story, so I, I highly, highly recommend it. Okay. It was the afternoon of November 3rd, 1984, and 17-year-old Lisa McVeigh was riding her bicycle home at 2 a.m. from the donut shop she worked for. It had been a long day, and she had worked a double shift, a double shift, and there was an even... So she was exhausted, but there was an even deeper exhaustion gnawing away at her psyche, and heavy thoughts were weighing on her young mind as she pedaled along in the quiet darkness of the early morning hours. Life had a way of applying, applying pressure on Lisa, and her young life was marred by neglect and the abuse she had do, endured from members of her own family, and she'd had enough. In fact, the night before, she had decided to write up a suicide letter in anticipation of ending her own life after work that day. Her struggles had overwhelmed her desire to live, and she was feeling ready to die. And in that episode I mentioned, Lisa is interviewed, and she describes coming to a point on that bike ride of feeling happy. She was reconciling the heavy decisions regarding her life that she had made, and she was feeling positive about following through with her suicide. As she rode along that night, she noticed a car drive by, and it honked as it did, which she thought was weird because she was riding on the sidewalk. Mm. She rode along further and came upon the church parking lot that she passed by after every shift and noticed a car was parked there with its lights on. As she was looking at the car, she was, in her words, plucked right off of her bicycle by a stranger. Oh, my God. As the barrel of a gun was pressed against her head. Oh, my God. Can you imagine just, like, being like, huh, that's curious, and just in that moment. Right. I had no idea that that's what's coming. Just blindsided, yeah. And you finally are, like, feeling at peace again. Right. And then now... Fuck. Right. Dude, we're like three seconds into this episode. <laughs> you were I'm not so kidding. I was not joking. <laughs> this is a heavy, yeah. Yeah. And so ironic that she was just going home to kill herself and right. now she's facing a, an abduction. Right. Oh and despite her young age, she was no stranger to the sensation of the cold steel threateningly pressing against her scalp as we've just mentioned before with the grandmother's boyfriend. But at this time, something inside her switched, and she didn't shut down. Again, as we mentioned, an ironic twist of fate, she had just moments ago been pedaling home to end her own life. When frighteningly she's forced to face her own mortality, she decided with unwavering certainty that she did want to live. Mm -hmm. She told her abductor she would do whatever he wanted, but please do not kill her. Her abductor drug her across the parking lot in an overpowering act of violence. He pushed her in through the driver's side entrance and forced her to strip before violating her. Mm. He then bound her up, blindfolded her, and terrifyingly he abducted her. Mental gymnastics tumbled her thoughts, and still she managed to find the willpower to balance her emotions and think clearly. Clenching her jaw, she managed to afford herself a glimpse outside of her blindfold. Once she unclenched, there was a gap that gave her limited but precious sight of her surroundings. Oh, my gosh. This was only the beginning of strategic decisions she made as her survival instincts kicked into high gear. To be that aware, not only at 17, but in that moment, I mean, immediately, that's fucking incredible. Amazing. I mean, oh, my God. To just be, I would, you know, you're stunned. 
to, mm-hmm. to be in shock at first. And Absolutely. to be able to be like, okay, what do I do here? Just start logically thinking about this. Absolutely. And you totally Just have to be... sitting there fucking naked in a stranger's... Yeah. Like you, oh would, you would be Not totally this. thrown off balance. Like, you know, you have this plan. You have this thing. You're thinking about, you know, whatever you're thinking about. And then you are just faced with this totally different situation and to be able to jump right back on your feet and go, okay, here's what we're going to do next. Okay, here's what I do next. Right. Here's, okay, that's, that's fucking insane. That's awesome. I'm, I'm, totally. I'm, I'm not excited for those kinds of details, the other details, but I'm, I'm excited to hear what she does because I'm hoping that means oh, she's going to fucking rock through this. It's amazing. And as they wrote on, she made sure to get every detail she could see, what she could smell, what she observed of him, what noises she heard during the drive, how many miles, what turns they took, what lights they stopped at, how many minutes were passing, and the type of car that he drove, a red Dodge Magnum. Lisa will later reveal that she had actually watched many true crime programs, which gave her the knowledge of situational awareness to remain in tune with her senses that afforded her limited but still valuable information. Yeah, bitch. That's right. And truly, people who are part of the true crime community we that's why we listen to these stories Mm -hmm. we grieve and cry over the loss of people's lives and we learn what happened to them and to be aware of predators and how they operate to hopefully survive if we too find ourselves in dangerous situations yep and i love it that lisa in lisa's case she was able to use this in order to actually save her life yes yes i'm real glad that you just told us i know okay good a little bit of reprieve in the story. Right, right. <laughs> I'll give you Thank a little you. reprieve. <laughs> Thank you for that before you crush the rest of my soul. Here, yes, and be ready to be crushed. <laughs> I will crush you. <laughs> the location Bobby was bringing to her to was in an area where there was a lot of trees. She thought this was it. He's bringing her to a wooded area to rape and kill her. He unbound her hands and feet, but still blindfolded, he had her get dressed, and then he opened the door and let her out. She walked towards the trees at first, her own chilling green mile, but then he spun her towards the door and they entered his apartment. She could smell fresh paint, the apartment smelled new, and he directed her immediately to the bathroom where she was instructed to shower. Although her blindfold is then removed, she is told to keep her eyes shut tightly as he enters the shower and pulled her tightly to his naked body and begins to bathe her. Ugh. Yeah, puke. What stands out to her is that she gets this feeling he's playing out some kind of love affair in his mind, some kind of charade, a, a mind game he's playing on himself. And then he took her to a room and proceeded to rape her in every way possible over and over again. <sighs> As she cried out in agonizing pain into the menacing hand that gripped tightly over her mouth, he was unsympathetic to her, telling her to shut up, bitch. Lisa would be raped, tortured, and held against her will for the next 26 hours. Oh, my God. Which sounds like an eternity to me. I can imagine oh. the hours, hell, the minutes in a situation like this oh. would feel like an eternity. Oh, my God, yeah. But the amazing fact is she didn't spiral in fear. She used this time to tactically ask questions, test out different approaches, and ultimately find the right manipulation avenue to stroll down right into a serial killer's good graces. Oh my god. So fucking smart. So, who was this ruthless predator? Bobby Joe Long was born October 14th, 1953 in Canova, West Virginia. Excuse me. Keep wanting to say Wisconsin. West Virginia. And it was to Joe and Luella Long who were married when Bobby was born but would divorce when he was just two years old. 
During this time in his young life, he would move to Florida with his mother, where she found jobs, um, waiting tables, and working at bars. Frequently, Bobby was left in the care of people of proximity, neighbors, landlords. There wasn't a sense of stability, which could have potentially been confusing for a small child. Mm -hmm. Bobby would suffer a series of injuries, beginning with an incident in which he nearly drowned in 1957. During an outing at the beach with his mother, whom he claimed was not properly keeping an eye on him, he played in the water until it overtook him. He helped. He was helped out of the water by good people who had seen him go go under and came under um, came out to his aid, while his mother was aloof to his well being, allegedly flirting with men nearby. Okay, all right. And these are, uh, you know, of, of course, according to Bobby. Yeah, so his mother yeah. would deny some of these things, but yeah. A year later, in 1958, Bobby would fall off a swing and suffer a serious head injury, his eyelid being skewered by a stick. Luckily for him, it was saved, Um, but the injury was severe to his head. Oh, there we go. There's that head trauma that we talk about in a lot of the the messed up cases. And just again, a year later, he hit his head on the bumper of a parked car as he (sighs) crashed his bicycle into it. This accident would actually leave Bobby with um, jaw and teeth deformity, even. Oh, wow. And what's increasingly alarming at this point, Bobby, once again, around the age of seven, was injured while falling off a pony, resulting in weeks of dizziness and nausea. Okay. So again, we have three head traumas. Three head traumas. Okay. Yes. Once All again right. to his head. So one head injury. Maybe this was Mother Nature trying to pluck him off of the planet <laughs> yeah, mother- before said, he fucks shit up when he's older. That, fuck that kid. What's that movie where that death keeps coming for you? Final Destination. Final Destination, yep. Death is like, damn it. <laughs> Next year. <laughs> Still can't drive behind a truck full of logs. because oh. Seriously, tra- traumatized. <laughs> that one sticks with you. <laughs> so uh, one head injury, as we mentioned, is very concerning. Multiple is frightening. But what Bobby had was a recipe for disaster. Absolutely. Over the years, until Bobby was 13, he slept in bed with his mother. Uh, trigger warning, because this is pretty messed up. But allegedly from Bobby, who would later tell his wife, Cindy, his mother would bring home random men to rendezvous with in the bed while laying next to Bobby. Oh, gross. While he, quote unquote, slept. Stop. Yeah. Who are these men that are okay with the two? Like, don't worry, that's just my son. Yeah. (laughs) Bobby, keep your eyes closed. (laughs) It looks almost like a grown man. Right. 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 At 13. Yeah. Teenager here. Oh, yeah, Jesus. Is there not a couch in this? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's weird. It's oh. it's sick. And obviously, oh. you know, that was what he was used to. So you can't blame him for, you know, whatever. It's just. But then such- also think about like, not like I'm not being trying to be gross or anything, but like you're thinking about a 13 year old boy who's in the middle of going through all of these changes. Mm-hmm. Feeling all these things he's never felt before. And then now he's got that next to him and it's his fucking mom. How fucked up. I mean, it would be fucked up and confusing and awful for any kid. But how fucked up and confusing, especially at 13 years old. Right. When you're starting to feel those things. And oh, my God. Adolescence. Yeah, you're forming your opinion of your body and of other people's bodies and sex and and you're starting to feel those those rushes of hormones right. whether and or not you have two people having sex next is. to you yeah. and one's your mom oh my god mm-hmm. no wonder this kid's fucking jacked up as a grown-up yeah so just to recap he's nearly drowned had serious head injuries three of them and has been sleeping in bed next to his mother who's been entertaining random men so he, 
one could imagine there was emotional damage there, as we mentioned. Oh, oh, absolutely. And it's important to note at this point, the relationship that he had with his mother would play a part in his overall opinion towards women. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. As it as one does. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, You know, as humans, we fall into certain stereotypes and we form habits. And sadly, especially when it comes to trauma, there is just ways where it's almost clinical how you can study how someone's going to choose to cope or Mm -hmm. lash out. Absolutely. And in Bobby's case, he would lash out. Yeah. And for Bobby, his mother worked at a bar, was young and dressed revealing. He resented her for how she presented herself and how she behaved. He had very different views about how women should look and behave, and he resented her for not looking after him or paying him more attention. And this brewing, overarching resentment towards women definitely started very young. Bobby was also born with Kleinfelter syndrome, which is when a male is born with an extra X chromosome. So he was born with XXY chromosomes instead of XY for a total of 47 chromosomes instead of 46. Okay. Symptoms of Kleinfelter's syndrome can generally be subtle. Sometimes they're more evident. There are many symptoms. I'll, I'll rattle off some of them. As you may have some, none, all, you know, whatever. Everyone's different in how, they, how it presents. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the symptoms are poor motor coordination, low self-confidence and shyness, difficulty reading, writing, and paying attention, difficulty socializing and expressing feelings, growing taller with longer limbs, broader hips, poor muscle tone, reduced amount of body hair, Enlarged breasts, smaller penis and testicles, low sex drive, and have the potential for infertility. For okay. Bobby, his symptom that presented was that he had larger breasts. Okay. For which he was bullied relentlessly over, of course, because, and let's say it together, kids suck. All right. Oh, God. <laughs> kids are absolutely dicks. He would eventually go through a very painful operation to remove the excess tissue uh, during one point in his adolescence. The surgery would leave scars that Bobby would be self-conscious of. He would keep his shirt on while swimming, and this was Miami, Florida, where he lived at the time. So him and other kids were swimming all the time. And as for other various symptoms of Kleinfelter syndrome, Bobby's experience was quite the opposite in some respects. And we'll see. We'll see how. Oh, good. <laughs> Not looking forward to it at all. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, happy story. I think I think that's really interesting, though, that... that um that we're talking about all the chromosomes and stuff because every time people start talking about how, oh, there's only two genders and you're only this or you're only that. And I'm like, if you actually do research into how people's insides and outsides can vary and things like that, like it is nuts to me that there are people that are like, well, there's only two genders and science and biology. You don't know shit about science and biology. You don't understand how any of this fucking it works. It seems like the people that know the least about science and biology say the most about uh, science and yes, biology. It's you are like, not wrong. <laughs> sit down. <laughs> take, take several seats. Um, so Bobby would go on to join the army. And during this time of service, he would once again, and I'm not sure how shocking this is or not at this point, <laughs> He would suffer another traumatic head injury. Oh, good. I was hoping that we weren't done with those. Yeah, right. <laughs> let's let's round it off at four, right? Right. This time while crashing a motorcycle. And this time for sure there was a direct correlation to his injury and behavioral changes. Okay. Bobby was in fact at this time married to his childhood sweetheart, Cindy Bart- Cynthia Bartlett. Okay. Also known as Cindy, whom he met when he was 13. And as I mentioned before, that's the age he stopped sleeping with his mother. It was after he met Cynthia. So, well, that's cute. <laughs> right. I think. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> right. Romantic. Right. 
Um, he signed up for the army prior to their wedding in 1974, and then very quickly afterwards, he was in this motorcycle accident um, in March of 1974. And the motorcycle accident was very severe. He was thrown to the pavement, and it shattered his helmet on impact. Oh, damn. Yeah, so he was very, Ooh. it was very serious. And after the incident, he was plagued by headaches, as well as an insatiable sex drive. Oh, great. So we mentioned with Kleinfelters that you can have a low sex drive. Oh, no. His dial was turned all the way up. So do we know if his dial was turned up before and then this made it worse or this just this just increased or we don't know? We don't know. Um, it's not mentioned. So I, I think this was a moment where it was just so it's funny. In a quote from Cindy, she says that she noticed before um, the accident that he had some of these strange behaviors. His temperament was it was off. He okay. had like, oh, he was particular. He was OCD, compulsive about controlling certain things. Okay. And so she thinks, I mean, in, into what you were saying, that this accident, in her words, knocked the screw loose that was holding everything together at the time. Oh, fuck. Oh, good. So. Great. Yeah. He became violent with her and again made her have sex two times a day and masturbated five times a day. Holy fuck. Yeah. That's that's a lot. So. Oh my God. Can you imagine having sex two times a day? To sex two times. Sex two times a day and masturbating. And there's more. Jesus, that's a lot. That's a lot. That's yeah. a lot. Of, that's a lot. Of, I, I mean. I, I have a decent drive and two times a day. Fuck no. But think like you're like two times like one day. Like, oh, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, think but two, two times every, every day. day. Two every times every day. day. That's 14 and times a week. It's been 30, 30 days. And oh my God. <laughs> no. That's seriously. Oh, I wish we and were recording her just grab <laughs> her <laughs> She was like, nope, fuck ow. no. Ow. And, and he's on top of that, he's, he's masturbating five times a day. Right. So he's, I mean, I don't... Yeah. I don't have the energy for two times a day. Now, granted, mm-hmm. he didn't, at least at this point, didn't have any children, so maybe he had more energy. But, oh, my God, two times a fucking day. No, thanks. That's, that's a lot. That's that's a lot. Yeah. So if you are taking notes at this point in the story, it feels like a montage of the making of a supervillain, doesn't yeah. it? Oh, my God. Absolutely. <laughs> this guy had nature and nurture working against his favor. And as much as it's not an excuse, it's certainly a good explanation as to how things got to be where they get to be in his life. Yeah. After the motorcycle accident, Bobby was medically discharged from the army and went on to be trained as a radiologist. Their son, Chris, will be born in 1974, daughter Sarah in 1975. And he was a good father per Cindy, um, but he had begun physically assaulting her. He, she described how he would, she, he'd have her on the bed and he would have her pinned down, on, be on top of her, her arms pinned down next to her side by his legs and would just smack her across the face. So wow, yeah, that guy was a good dad. That doesn't sound. What isn't that strange? Yeah, is that? I don't know if maybe you know. So that was per Cindy, and it's like one of those things. I'm not doubting it, but it's one of those things that maybe she's protecting her children. That's true. That's true. There's so many psychos like that. Yeah, but he's at least the third one we've talked about, right? Yep. Bowmeister, and there was at least one more. I feel like Um, BTK was, you know, a good father too. BTK, yeah. We probably mentioned that. That's probably the one I'm thinking of. So the abuse would escalate. And in 1980, Cindy would go to the hospital after one of Bobby's beatings. She lied to the doctors and the cops about how she got the injuries. She was so embarrassed. And she knew they knew she was lying, um, which made her even more embarrassed. 
So when she got home from the hospital, that night she loaded a shotgun and she sat there next to him while he slept all night with the loaded shotgun pointed at him. Oh. Mm. She did not pull the trigger. Ah! <laughs> even though I'm sure she regrets not doing so. Um, she didn't want to lose her children. She didn't want to go to prison. He would be dead and she would be in prison. And they had two young children at the time. But she did, however, build up the strength to divorce him that year in 1980. Yes. So she did get free of, of him. Good oh, job, luckily. Cindy. After six years of marriage. So she endured six years. But gosh, I'm so glad she did not endure more. Yes, me too. Good job, Cindy. Good job, Cindy. Proud of you. But before the divorce, beginning while he was still married, like I said, there was more. Mm-hmm. Sex twice a day with his wife, masturbating five times a day. Okay. And yet, Bobby would leave in the evenings. He would tell Cindy he needed some air. He needed a break from her and the kids, and he would go for drives. And Cindy just thought he was seeing another woman and probably wished he would. Right. Was probably like, get out. Give her a break. Can you fuck her three times a day and leave me alone? Seriously. (laughs) Can I just look look after the kids? You've got your, you know, side and side piece. And if she wants it, great. Right. (laughs) Have you. Have at it. So he was actually going out, though, and raping women. Oh. He would target... Um, home furniture or kitchen appliance classified ads and he would rape unsuspecting women so during the marriage uh, Cindy Bobby and the kids were actually living in California after the divorce he rented a room in Long Beach and during this time had a relationship with an underage 17 year old girl at the time and during all this was also preying on women through the penny saver classified ads and he became known as the classified ad rapist as I mentioned before, he would peruse the ads in search of furniture and kitchen appliances being sold, something that's heavy. Okay. He would find women that were posting items to purchase and would casually ask if there was going to be a husband or a boyfriend there to help him load the item. Oh. When he found women alone, he would ask to use the bathroom where he would get out his homemade rape kit. He would bind them, rob them at knife point, rape them, and leave terrified victims with a lifetime of healing in his wake. Oh. Cool. So he's like all the way fucking like garbage, garbage. Oh, very garbage. Oh my gosh. The most garbage. Stinky garbage. Cindy talked about how she and Bobby were not civil for a long time, but had, um, had to be, you know, civil for the kids in around 1983. We're kind of becoming a little bit more civil, coexisting at that point, actually. But during this time, he moved to Florida. So it just shows where his priorities are. Right. You know, he's, I'm sure he's thinking um, the pool of women that he's kind of picked through in California, it's going to start heating up. People are going to start connecting those dots. Right. So but he, I'll, bet, I'll bet Cindy was so fucking like, oh, yes. Yes. Goodbye. Go. Bye. Get the fuck out of here. Out. Bye. See ya. Oh. I've got this. Bye. Right. I'm safe. My kids are safe. Mm-hmm. Get the fuck away from me. I bet Seriously. she was real, real relieved by that. Oh, I'm sure. And there were as many as 50 rapes that he would be responsible oh for. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. So he would, um, he'd move to Florida. He'd move around the area between Fort Lauderdale, Ocala, Miami, and Tampa. Okay. And continued his classified ad scheme, bouncing around the area, as I mentioned, until he found a location and a new group of women to hunt altogether. This area of town would be referred to as the Red Light District in Tampa. 
The location was Nebraska Avenue and West Kennedy Boulevard, and it was highly unregulated by authorities uh, as it was a place for sex workers to find work. And Bobby was delighting in the fact that he was able to have a vulnerable group of young women each night to cherry pick from. Lovely. It would not be too long until Bobby's behavior would escalate and become not only violent, but also murderous. Beginning in March 1984, Bobby would begin a killing spree on women who were typically sex workers. That would actually, this would actually, due to him directly, cause the murder rate in the area to skyrocket. Wow. Yeah. On the 13th of May 1984, Mother's Day, the body of Nguyen Tai Long, who also went by the name Lana, was discovered. Lana was an exotic dancer who had moved to the area from California with her boyfriend, whom she lived with. She had aspirations of going to college and had actually given her notice to work. Also, something to note, she was not a sex worker, but was walking home that night, and with the charm of Bobby Long, he lured her into his car for a ride home. It wouldn't matter if she was, but I just didn't want to tell the victim's story incorrectly. Okay. As this would, sex workers would kind of end up being his um, victim profile. Yeah. Now it was May 13th, and she was last seen on the 10th, and two boys playing in a vacant lot behind their houses had caught whiff of a foul odor on the breeze. Finding Lana after a brief look around the area, she was laying face down and her body was bound, and she had what appeared to be a leash of fabric tied around her neck. She was naked, and her legs were deliberately splayed apart so forcibly her hips dislocated. Oh my god. What the fuck? I mean, that's anger. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so violating. Yes. It just breaks your heart. I can't. I can't. And and seriously, I'll mention it again. This is very heavy stuff, guys. Yeah. There was evidence collected from the scene. Tire tracks observed three different types of tires with varying tread patterns. But one of the most important pieces, they just didn't know it yet, was one strand of red trilobal nylon fiber. Or cheap red carpet fiber, typically found on the floor of a vehicle, and this mm-hmm. was found on the piece of uh, one of the pieces of fabric binding Lana's body. Okay, as the police generally do, and with good reason, they questioned her boyfriend and thought he was the prime sus- suspect at first. But Bobby Joe Long was just hitting his stride in his reign of terror, and Lana's boyfriend would be dismissed later as the suspect in her murder when just two weeks later, the body of Michelle Sims would be found on May 27th, 1984. She too was bound and mostly naked. Her shirt had been flipped over her head, binding her arms behind her, her wrists also bound behind her back. She had suffered trauma to her head and had ligature, a ligature around her neck. Michelle was a beauty queen with a troubled upbringing, and she'd sadly developed a drug addiction and had turned to sex work to pay for her habit. Bobby had abducted Michelle, beat her, raped her, and threw her out of the car. She then fought him so fiercely while he tried to strangle her that he violently cut her throat. Oh. Along with other evidence at the crime scene were tire tracks, three different types of tires with different tread and red carpet fibers. I hope she got in some good hits. She was fighting back. Absolutely. Me too. On the 8th of June, Elizabeth Loudenbach, 22-year-old factory worker who had just been in the red light district as she lived in the area with her family. She wasn't working um, without possibly going for a walk and accepted a ride from Bobby since he comes off as a gentleman and disarms women to get them in the car. 
He then raped her violently in the car and takes her and typically other victims to a remote location where he continues to rape them, torture them, and strangle them. He then emptied Elizabeth's account after stealing her card. Police thought again that Elizabeth, with Elizabeth, that it was her boyfriend. Um, between her abduction, which was again on the eighth of June, she was just she was missing until the twenty fourth when her body was found, mm-hmm. and her and her boyfriend had fought a lot about money. So the fact that her bank account was drained was um, suspicious. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, again they were looking at him, and she again wasn't her, the typical victim profile. So. Um, however, and again, trigger when her remains were found, she was so decomposed from being in the Florida heat that everything, including her clothes, weighed a total of 25 pounds. She had to be identified through dental records. Oh my gosh. This murder was again, different. They didn't, did not initially link it to the others as the body was clothed. Um, and there weren't any ligatures at the scene and she wasn't a sex worker. She lived what they considered a low risk lifestyle. Um, a source of, that I had seen mentioned that there was evidence of her being strangled and bound, but no evidence at the scene. So I'm not sure with how badly she was decomposed, how they would have seen that. But however, once the FBI reviewed the scene, the, or the evidence, excuse me, they found red carpet fibers that oh. matched the other victims that they've had. Okay. So she was officially linked and they really knew at this point they had a serial killer on their hands. It was really a good thing for these boyfriends that those fucking carpet fibers were there to tie everybody oh, together. Seriously, wow. could you imagine? Or we'd have a whole lot of men in prison that uh-huh. really didn't do anything. A whole lot more men in prison that really didn't <laughs> yeah, do anything. That's true. Thank you for that, because you're right. You're right. Oh, so, um, so, and that's, you know, again, everyone's always like, don't do bad things. You won't go to jail. It's like, well, <laughs> I mean, our justice system is broken at it's best. It's not entirely so. true. Also, yeah. that whole do bad things and you go to jail, that's also not entirely <laughs> exactly. true. Exactly. So, the rules don't always apply. We should maybe work on that, I think. So, surprising the investigators, there was a three month lull that would unfortunately end on October 7th, shattering their hopes that this monster was done. On October 7th, 1984, the naked body of Chanel Devon Williams, 18 years old, was found near the entrance of a cattle ranch. She was a young sex worker who was well-loved by her family. She had a good sense of humor, but she was rebellious and lived life to the beat of her own drum. She had been beaten, raped, strangled, and ultimately shot in the head. Oh. Once again, this killing was different. Yeah. Uh, He was switching up different details of of each scenario and this was different in the sense that her race was also different which is i guess um not typical of serial killers typically they kill within the same race i was actually going to ask that i was thinking like okay wait so these women based just based on their names of course i guess that's that's probably not right for me to do but i was sitting here thinking like okay so that first name was definitely an asian name and yeah. then, you know, like, so I was wondering, like, are these all the same women? Because they don't sound like they're all the same race just based on their yeah. names alone, which, of course, doesn't necessarily mean anything. But I was going to ask that. Right, right. I mean, it's, it is an indication of, um, yeah. So, and so Chanel was a young black woman. Okay. She was 18. And so, like you said, he has, at this point, killed an Asian woman, mm-hmm. two white women, and now a black woman. Yeah, that's not very typical at all. I mean, I, obviously it happens, because here yeah. we are, but... 
And then the differences in how they're being killed, too. Like, so much you hear that they do the same thing every time. Right. They have this M.O. This M.O. Exactly. And, you know, the FBI will eventually do a profile on him. And so it's it's just interesting how right they are in certain situations. And then how, I mean, we talk about Israel Keys. Like, he had truly no M.O. about his victim profiles. Like. It it could be more frequent than we even realize. Of- that's true. You know, I of course I've said it like a lot of times. I haven't said it in a minute though, so I guess that's good. Uh, Murder Squad. Paul Holes talks about that a lot. How you know you have this bias where you either think you know all these victims have to be tied together because they have you know similar things like they're all strangled or whatever, and that's not necessarily the case. And in the same token, the opposite is true where you think well none of these victims could be the same because their you know their genders are different or their different color skin, different whatever it different is, ages. different like, ages, yeah. mm-hmm. different sizes, different. Uh, MOs and those things can all happen in the same person. I think he talks quite a bit about one killer. I don't I don't remember who it was, but how they their MO was the same, you know, for a whole bunch, but then one of the victims they didn't think was the same because she was scalped. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how once the guy was caught, they found out that he had killed that person too, but he had tried it cuz like he had read about that somewhere and was like, "Oh, I think I'll try it." So he had tried it and been like, "No, nah, nope, I don't think I like that." So he just had one random victim who oh, was scalped because he wanted try to try it. it. And then he was like, "Nope, that didn't trip my trigger. I'm going to keep yep. doing this stuff." Yes. It's crazy. And you know, again, it was different in the way that in the method that she was ultimately killed with being shot. Um so they did initially did not initially link them together, but they did um, have the FBI review the evidence in connection to the other murders, and sure enough, red carpet fibers were found, in addition to a male pubic hair. One week later, on October 14th, the body of Karen Beth Din's friend was found. She was found partially clothed, covered in mud, bruising, blood, and had indications of having been dragged to this location. She had been bound at the wrists and feet with items that seemed to be of convenience, um, a bandana and a shoelace. Okay. So she was beaten and raped and strangled to death. Very sad. She was born into a wealthy family in St. Petersburg and had a nice life growing up. But sadly, she'd become addicted to drugs and dropped out of high school. She got into some legal trouble before briefly turning her life around and had a baby girl. But the claws of addiction sank into her once more, and she eventually turned to sex work to pay for her habit. Found at the scene were red carpet fibers and a Caucasian male pubic hair. So we've caught two pubic hairs now. Two pubic hairs yes. and red carpet fibers. So a lot of a lot of linking evidence, which is, yeah. is great to give people closure. Yeah. You know, once once they fall for one of the piece of the puzzle, the rest fall into place. Yeah, but those carpet fibers are really good. But those pubic hairs, that's what. Yeah. Pubic hairs. That's, that's I like good. it. That's, Isn't the fucking science incredible? Science is crazy. You're like, oh, pubic hair. Oh, we can figure out exactly who that is. Right. Oh, right. fucking hair. Oh, I know. What? Right. Not, in, not this time frame, of course, right. but he probably looked kind of like this. Like they, yeah. they can make a whole like, profile of what yeah. someone could look like yeah. just with a speck of DNA. Yeah. Right. Speck. Love it. Um, also, I, also, I hope that those pubic hairs got caught and yanked out of him. I know that that's not a lot, but same. I hope that they didn't just really come off. Hurt. I'm, I'm going to, in my head, in my headcanon, that's what happened. Yep. They got caught on something and yanked out of his testicles. Yes, I like it. Thanks. I listened to an episode of a podcast called Always Time for True Crime, um, and it was so well done, so I'm giving a shout out. And the host mentioned at this time that the police did a press release to the public so they um, would know and be aware of the possibility of a serial killer and not to take rides from people they didn't know. 
and they also requested tips or information from the public. In this episode, in this podcast episode, she mentions that, um, and I could not find anywhere else to confirm this, but it's so interesting. I had to, I had to mention it. Um, but apparently, none other than Ted Bundy wrote in asking certain details about the case. Uh, if, if the killer happened to have done this or happened to have done that, and was actually pretty insightful and was offering to help, um, but in exchange for certain terms, and the police declined his help they're like no we will give you nothing who the fuck does he think he is hannibal lecter like he's gonna give them clues right fuck you ted bundy seriously fuck off what what time is that is so this was Bundy already this was 84 so um i looked it up ted ted was um arrested in 75 and this is 84 so he's in prison yeah he wrote from prison yeah writing from prison oh my gosh can you imagine it was like the same time frame oh Two I mean, a lot of them are the same time frame. It's the same area with being in Florida. I mean, he yeah. had t- Ted had some um, of his murders were done in Florida. He was like, I think I used to drink with that guy. Hold on. What, what right. was he like? <laughs> <laughs> What's he seem like? I don't know. Right. Let me mm. check my address. Book. Hold on. Was that on my? No, you know what? I don't think those were me. But, you know, you can <laughs> give me the details because I like that. Blech. Gross. So two weeks later on Halloween 1984, mummified remains, once again nude, and this time no clothing at the scene, were also found. Mm-hmm. There is also no other usable type of evidence at the scene, and so this victim would actually not be identified until later um, when Bobby would identify the victim himself as Kimberly oh. Kyle Hops, okay. also known as Sugar. Oh. Strands of her hair would also eventually be found in Bobby's car. Okay. At the beginning of the episode, and someone we will return to, was Lisa McVeigh, who was then abducted on November 3rd. And on November 6th, were, um, bones were discovered by a woman riding on horseback in Pasco County, Florida. They were said to have been there for two weeks due to their condition, which was advanced in advanced stages of decomposition and too far gone again for identification. And once more, um, would later be identified by Bobby Joe himself to be Virginia Lee Johnson. She, too, was a sex worker and only 18. Her cause of death was strangulation, and there were ligatures that were discovered at the scene. Mm. On the November 12, 1984, the brutalized body of Kim Marie Swan, 21, was found off the side of the road down an incline. Her body lay haphazardly as if she had been thrown. She was an exotic dancer and drug user, a fitting, um, victim, fitting the victim profile. She was last seen leaving a convenience store on November 11th near her parents' home. But just like Lana, Kim had wanted to turn her life around, and she had applied to go to school to be a medical tech, and she and her one-year-old son had just moved in with her parents. Mm. So once more, you can assume that she probably just accepted a ride from Mm -hmm. Bobby Joe at this point. There were no ligatures or ropes at the scene, but there were prominent markings to suggest she had been tied up and strangled. There were some tire tracks where he had stopped to throw the body down the incline. Strands of hair would also later be found in Bobby Joe's vehicle, and the red carpet fiber- fibers were found on her clothes that the killer had discarded at the scene. Vicki Elliott, a petite, red-haired young woman, went missing September 7th, and when she didn't show up for her shift at the coffee, coffee shop that she worked at, her co-workers were immediately alarmed. Vicki was a very responsible and hardworking young woman at, at age of 21, and I what I can ma- in, in what I can imagine was the typical move again from Bobby Long was that he offered her a ride mm-hmm. and he was friendly. He was a gentleman. And so she accepted and that sadly sealed her fate. Her body was found on November 16th, 1984. 
why are they always fucking gentlemen too like even one of the investigators on one of the episodes I watched said that he's like, I hate to say it, but he was a perfect Southern gentleman. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and then you see like, like people are like, oh, well, he would never. Yeah, because they don't do that shit in front of you. They yeah. beat women behind closed doors and, you know, God knows what else. Obviously, this guy is a really bad example of, you know, the worst of the worst, but like people are always just like, oh, he would never. My son, mm-hmm. oh, that guy I was his neighbor, and he would never. He did so many nice things. Yeah, but, of course he did. What he doesn't was want it? you to know Maury he's Travis, women. Like would yes. go and mow lawns. Yes. And, yeah. You, you. Of course he didn't let you know. Right. That he's a giant woman beater, piece of shit, if pussy, you on motherfucker. To him, then he couldn't continue to do that. Right. So exactly. He needs you to believe he would never. Exactly. Of course. That's of course. Right. And there's he doesn't think there's anything wrong with what he's fucking doing. No. Ugh. Sorry. Continue. <laughs> I totally agree. Women can do it too, but man. Oh, absolutely. And women who are psychos, uh, people tend to think are just fine as well. So that, except for, I don't know, most women that I have known throughout my life, who I shall not name here, but definitely <laughs> when the microphones are off, that have been psychos, everyone around them has known, like, that bitch is crazy. Right. And I, I have, I actually <laughs> had a friend in high school who would, like, hit her boyfriend. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well. Mm. she was fucking uh, i hope she's not listening because fuck her but um yeah she would hit her boyfriend and Jeez. everyone knew she was a psycho there was no we were friends with her boyfriend i'm sad to say that i was friends with her for a while she was a fucking psychopath and everyone knew she was a psychopath she was crazy so i feel like it's a little bit different whereas the men I'm, i feel like you're usually like wait what no yeah. not Tommy, true. oh no! But then you also have people like Pam Hupp. That's yeah, it's very true. That's Ooh. a very good point. Yeah. So I mean, gosh, you could we could go on and on about a good examples for either yeah, one. Definitely could. There's so many crazies in this world. Yeah. <laughs> right. There's a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> um. Okay. So now we have gotten to the tenth and the last murder victim found, who was Artis and Wick. Goodness. Who was actually the first victim um murder victim as she went missing in march of 1984 some sources say she was a sex worker some say she was a nanny it was hard to pin down information some information on some of these victims so Mm -hmm. it's possible she did both to make money and no judgment either way Mm -hmm. and what we do know is that her life was cut short and she was set to be married just one week later after she went missing Again, presumed to be Bobby's first victim, um, but last to be found. Her body was located November 22nd, 1984. She was raped. Her hands were bound. Bobby would later confess to her murder, but okay. struck a deal not to be charged for her murder. And of course he did. Fuck you, Bobby. <clears throat> you may have realized at this point, and like we've talked about um, before, is that there's a victim whose body has not been found. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Back at Bobby's apartment in 1984, a terrified but brilliant Lisa McVeigh is being held hostage by a vicious, and although she doesn't know it at the time, but lethal serial killer. Bobby was exhausted after an eventful night, and he decided to tie Lisa to a bed and told her to get some rest for the night. Lisa, unsurprisingly, did not get rest for the night. And she she thought about her family, and she thought about how they would never see her again. And she began to gather up her strength, and despite 24 hours before wanting to die, she definitely wanted to live, and she was going to do whatever it took to survive this ordeal. Yes. 
When she and Bobby interacted again the next day, he asked her questions about herself. So she lied and said her name was Carol and that she had a sick father and that he's her whole world and she is her, she is his whole world and that she's the only one looking after him, okay. trying to gain his sympathy. So she asked why he was doing this and he said it was to get back at a woman, at women in general, after a bad breakup. She used this information and started appealing to him, telling him it was okay. He was a good guy. She would be his secret girlfriend. It was too bad that they met the way that they did, but she could tell he was a good person. And she could sense that his emotional immaturity was beginning to, this was beginning to appeal to that and to appeal to his childlike nature that he just wanted to be loved. So fucking smart. A little while later, a news story came on about a girl being abducted off her bicycle, and Lisa began to began to sob as her emotions just came to a head. Oh, of course. And Bobby became enraged and told her if she didn't stop, he would have to kill her right then and put the gun once more to her head. Oh. Her grandfather used to do this while her grandmother watched from the other room and did nothing, and she used that hurt and that anger to stop crying immediately. And when he told her to stop, she politely responded, Yes, sir. She knew that was the only way to... to de-escalate the situation she was blindfolded the whole time she was there at the apartment but was was smart about feeling around surfaces and Mm -hmm. um actually he allowed her to feel his face so he was different with her there was something you know something there again he was playing through this fake love affair it felt like so she let her feel around his face she felt a small nose a mustache he had acne scars he was a little bit overweight um, and then when she was in his bedroom, she took a breath from her hair and threw it under the bed. Yeah. Oh, yes. And then when she asked to use the bathroom, she touched as many surfaces as she can, yes, including Lisa. a very clear thumbprint on the mirror. Oh. And she was, she thought even if she did die here, she wanted evidence to be here, left behind. Yeah. She was here. Yep. She was his. You're family. not fucking getting away with this. You're not getting away. Yes. For 26 hours, Bobby Joe Long held Lisa captive. He raped her repeatedly, and still, she continued to show him kindness to gain his trust and sympathy. She could tell he was anxious about what to do, and she really didn't know um, in what way. But she And she really didn't know this, but in a way, Bobby had, in fact, kind of fallen for her. As we discussed this before with his mother, all he wanted was love and attention, and he believed women should take care of others, be caretakers, Mm -hmm. demure, not flashy, and not confident. And Lisa was telling him things like, it's okay, I know how we met was unfortunate, I'll take care of you, I'll be your girlfriend, you're a good guy. Um, So it just, I feel like it just appealed to this inner nature of him of this is, this would be what he would expect and what he would want, what he, he wanted from his mother. Right. I bet she's an empath. I bet she, she absolutely picked up on exactly like, okay, this exact, isn't working. Okay, this yes. isn't working. This is what he needs. Yep. That's empath energy right there. Absolutely. And and probably partly because of all the trauma she faced. She was, I mean, not like, I don't mean it to sound like it was a good thing because obviously it's horrific. And I wish this woman would never would have gone through any of this. But absolutely. she was literally being trained her entire fucking life for this moment. She sure was. And, yeah. and all of those things, she herself made herself stronger to the point where she could just 
I mean, yep. obviously do whatever she's getting ready to do. That's fucking awesome. It's, uh, it's I, amazing. But to be able to have that self-control to be like, yes, yes. sir. Oh, yeah. Uh-uh. No, you I don't think it. I could do that. I, or to be able to stop crying like yeah. that. If I'm like, I have to pissed. stop crying, I just fucking start crying higher. Yeah. Yes. Oh, my God. Yep. I would get so mad. Yeah. Uh-huh. My, it would just be anger. Mm-hmm. But that obviously would not be the right route to take with this man. No, no. That's amazing that she was able to do all of that. And, and it's 17. At Two. 17. I'm almost freaking 40, and I'm like, there's no fucking way. And I for know. her to be able to have that much control at 17 years old, too. Oh, my God. What a badass. Oh, seriously. She's a hero. During one of these moments of her, you know, again, repeatedly, repeatedly saying that you're a good guy. It's, it's okay. He said out loud, I can't keep you. And he grabbed his keys and once again pushed her out the door. Oh. So he was just, it was like he was making these split decisions, mm-hmm. you know, like... I don't know, impulsive decisions, like taking her from her bike and all that in the first place. So once again, they were driving in the red Dodge Magnum and Lisa was terrified, now wondering if he was taking her to her demise, at her demise at a private location. So they did stop at a gas station right near his home so he could get money out of an ATM. And he warned her if she ran, he'd kill the clerk and come after her. So she behaved. She stayed put, and she was also afraid of him harming someone else and did not want blood on her hands. Mm -hmm. Bobby then took her to a back parking lot, told her to get out and wait five minutes before moving. And so she did. And when she removed her blindfold, he was gone. (gasps) What? So she ran. First, Lisa went home to tell her grandmother and grandmother's boyfriend about the ordeal. And of course, they didn't believe her. Shock. (laughs) The boyfriend even made some disgusting remark asking if Lisa had been cheating on him. Ew. While she was gone. Ah, fucking gross. Disgusting. Could you imagine after being violated so profoundly for so many hours right before that and then come home and be like, and to have been such a badass to survive? I mean, you've got to be feeling so mentally and emotionally exhausted, but then adrenaline high of being released. Right. And then to come home and like have to deal with that bullshit. Yeah. Oh, my God. He's lucky she didn't cut his shit off. Seriously. Oh, my God. Especially with all that adrenaline coursing through her veins. She's real fucking lucky that she didn't. The amount of restraint that this woman shows. Right. It's unreal. Oh, my God. So she cried for hours, but then she decided she would not let this man get away with what he had done, and she made her way to the police station. Yes, Lisa. When she went to tell the police, a young girl who was from, quote, the wrong side of town, who calmly and logically explained her ordeal, the police didn't believe her either. Of course course they didn't. Of Of course course. not. Of course they didn't. Because why? it, I I hate when people judge people's reactions to trauma because I know mm-hmm. it's it's easy to kind of you want to sniff out when someone's not being um, real or, you know, but if they're lying or whatever. But it's like it just I don't know. I, I, I hate when people go on the offensive with victims. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, absolutely. I, th- I always think about that. I mean, even like we were talking earlier about before we started recording uh, for you guys, we were kind of talking about true crime and ethics and stuff. And, you know, when you hear stuff like that, they talk about people like laughing when they're telling a story and stuff. And we laugh and joke while we're telling these stories. It is not because we take light 
about what's happened to people. But like, at least for me, that's how I deal with awful shit. I mean, the night right. the night that my mom died, she was my best friend. The night that she died, I was in my brother's house laughing. Not because I was happy, but because that's how I deal. Right. That's how we deal. So to think that, oh, because someone's not crying every minute or because someone's doing X, Y, or Z... And go, oh, well, they must not be telling the truth or that dad must have done it because he's not losing his shit while he's on stage talking about his kids being gone. You don't fucking know how somebody else is going to respond or how you will respond unless you've been in that exact situation. No. So. And I'm so that kind of person. I thought I thought about this before. I'm like, I would definitely fail a polygraph test just because I'm super anxious that Uh I'm because I I am always like I can be socially awkward. So I'm like. Uh, am I doing? Am I saying this right? Am I looking? Am mm-hmm. I making enough eye contact? Mm-hmm. Am I? Oh my god! I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about too much. Oh my god! Yeah, is my heart yeah. rate. Did I see? A, yeah. Did I see a blip? Did I see? A, I saw a blip. <laughs> oh, a blip. Now there's oh more blip. God. There's Damn. more blips. Did you do it? Maybe I did it. Oh shit! Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He's saying I did it. Did I really do it? Yeah. You're, well, god, I don't remember. Do I remember that day? <laughs> I, I thought about it the other day to listen to one of the podcasts. I was like, I would absolutely fucking be like, yep, I did it. <laughs> I don't I totally think that they could just talk circles around me and be like I must have done it <laughs> <laughs> they'll be like you know you better tell us or we're gonna get your whole family so you're like yeah. I did it I did it right <laughs> seriously right. they are they they have had years and years and years to hone these types of manipulation tactics and mm-hmm. and I'm grateful that they are so smart in how yeah. they interview but it, it or interrogate but it is scary for people that you know are innocent and have nothing to hide but can definitely be nervous. like nervous and yeah. it's great when it's working on the right people right not so great when it's working on someone who's just anxious and pissing their pants because you're questioning them and they right. didn't really do anything wrong and they're just scared i'm afraid to make a phone call good you're gonna go you're gonna question me and accuse me of things and i can't call the doctor by myself right. so cool exactly that's me <laughs> so no judgments to her so um and she did begin to shut down of course because of course. no one was believing her right. until one of the detectives detective larry pinkerton came in to speak with her and he showed her a picture of his daughter who was around lisa's age and said he was there to protect her oh lisa began to relax with pinkerton and once again she told her story they did start to believe her and other detectives would get involved and take her then on a ride to the location of um, her abduction and then had her then try to recreate the ride. And they were so astonished by how well she was able to map out this route just from peeking underneath her blindfold. And again, she counted red lights, left turns, right turns. She knew his apartment was near a bank. The detective on this case was interviewed again in one of those episodes I mentioned and was bewildered by what she knew. I mean, he was like smiling as he's recounting. He's like, it just in astonishment. He's like, yeah. she got us within a two square mile to work with. Damn. So they set out a task force to scour the area. They went and talked to some of the girls on the strip in the red light district to see if they had seen him. And because of their, her description of seeing the word Magnum on the dash, they knew the kind of car and color to look for. It's oh, awesome. Lisa had given them almost everything they needed. And as they were scaring, scouring the area, There he was, driving up. So they loosely tailed him and followed him home to a place that matched Lisa's description. They took a picture of him and showed Lisa to which she positively ID'd this man as her abductor. She said, fuck yeah, that's him. (sighs) Got him. And they now had a name, Bobby Joe Long, and were closing in on him quickly before he could do it again. 
something to mention um, to an, on November 16th, then the same day that Vicki Elliott's body was discovered was when he was arrested. Yes. Outside of a movie theater near his home. There's a, there's a photo of him being arrested and it's just like popping up in my mind right now. Cause he looks like such a smug asshole. Like he's just like, mm, found me. Mm, yes. Like <laughs> I just, Oh, like I, he's dressed kind of nice and he's got his little mustache and he just looks like, Hmm. Like I hope he fucking this cried when they questioned me, him. But... I hope because those are always the ones that like break down. I hope he fucking bawled his eyes out when they fucking got him in there. I've I've seen someone do that before. They were stealing from the place I worked. I hope that fucker is listening. And he was like thought he was this little badass all the time, and he was stealing shit. And finally, they like set up this whole sting operation and caught him. And he was in the fucking office being questioned by a police officer, bawling his fucking eyes out. It was the funniest shit I've ever like, seen. I just, I just girl. kept walking past the window yeah. like, oh, yeah. hi. Gotcha. Oh, look at I walked back the other way. Oh, oh look, look, look. there's another tear. Okay. Fuck that kid. I love it. I love like the when Karens get justice videos, <laughs> you know, or like road rage gets instant justice. It's I know. Like, it's, it's or instant karma. It's like yes. It's like like a whole Can't other world feeling oh that's amazing so i hope he cried oh well he, he probably mm, didn't <laughs> but he you, you will you will be pleased oh good good i like that during his interview um they did he did quickly admit to kidnapping mcveigh he said he knew that she could see under that blindfold he just knew he was caught <laughs> And they did take evidence from Lisa, um, once they believed her story, of course, and found red carpet fibers that Ooh. matched the other victims on her clothes. So they had him. They had him for Lisa. They had him for the others. And when they started bringing up the murders, he at first denied it, saying, well, I should maybe get my lawyer now. And they were like, well, Bobby, you could certainly get your lawyer, but we are going to nail this to you. You're caught. We have carpet fibers from Lisa that match these other women in these other scenes. And with Bobby, it was always about control. Yeah. So it was like him taking control once more. He thought about it for a minute. And then a switch was flipped. He would ultimately ultimately confess to eight of the ten murders and fill in some missing pieces for the victims like Virginia Lee Johnson, Vicki Elliott, and artist Ann Wick. He also discussed the count the countless rapes and assaults he committed during his time as the classified ad rapist. Again, it was his way of taking control of his story. The police weren't going to get one up on him. He was mm-hmm. like, you caught me. This is what I did. In some way of claiming glory. Yeah, just the can't wreckage. help but fucking brag about what yeah. he did. And all the wreckage that he left in his wake. There's an interview with Bobby where he says, all the victims, all of them, you know, and we're talking about a lot of them, a lot. A lot of lives just gone right down the tubes because of me, you know, in one way or another. And it's not a good feeling. It's not a pleasant feeling. I'm not proud of anything I've done. And the worst thing is, I don't understand why. I don't understand why. Shut up. It's just... (laughs) It's just so infuriating. You just want to punch him square in the nose. Oh, right. You don't know why? Right. Great. You don't. Ugh. It's not a good feeling. Fuck you. It felt good to you. Oh, you it wouldn't have kept me. fucking doing it. Yeah. It hurt you. Fuck off. <laughs> it hurt me what, so your much feelings? I did 50 times. You're, yeah. It hurt so bad that I, I, I just kept doing it over and over again. I what? felt bad for all the things you went to, went through, 
right up until you started raping people and then that's yeah. it fuck you you can just then burn. that's it yeah you made that decision you'd cross that line Bobby Joe Long pled guilty on September 24th, 1985, to eight homicides after working out a deal. And he was, you know, to get to not claim the other two. And he was to receive 26 life sentences without the possibility of parole and seven life sentences with the possibility after 25 years. Jesus. So so do we know why he didn't want to claim those two? Am I just forgetting? Did you didn't say that, it's, did you? It's like this weird... In one of the sources, they talked about it, too, and they were like, which is just, like, a dick move, because at oh, this okay. point, who cares? Like, right. you're going away for life. Right. Yeah. Just give closure to the family. But it was like, he just, he played games. Okay, it was just And he'll like play a... games with his appeals and all that, and, yeah. you know, there's... It was just another way to be in control and Another way of being in control. Yeah, exactly. And just kind of, just pulling a dick move. Yeah. yeah cause, just because he could. Causing more harm. Causing more harm. The more you do that, the yeah. more, yeah. Because it's those little, like, you know, ways to make him feel superior. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes they do it, like, because one is, you know, younger or something along those lines. So I wasn't right. trying something like that. No, where there it was wasn't like any kind somehow of reasoning. Not, not more shameful, because it's all fucking shameful, but somehow, quote, unquote, more shameful or against that code, you know, that, right. that um, the bad guys have. Right, right. So the state retained its option in the summer of 1906, however, to seek the death penalty in the 1984 murder of Michelle Sims. Like we mentioned before, Bobby plays games. There was lots of appeals. At one point, he was sentenced to death as well for Virginia Johnson's murder. That was vacated. um, And Bobby liked to go back and forth on his plea, guilty, not guilty, whatever, during his appeals. He certainly played games with the court. But luckily, the death penalty charge for Michelle Sims stuck, and he remained on death row where he would be for the next 34 years. Oh, wow. Why? I don't know why so long. I don't understand. Why so long? Just get him done. Get it done. I, I, I'm sure it's because of all the appeals. But don't put him on yeah. fucking mm-hmm. death row then. Yeah. But so the p- appeals are automatic. If you get put on death row, you have to go through all these appeals, which is why... 34 years of appeals? Well, I don't know if it's 34 years, but I'm just saying, you know, those appeals, like, you have to go through all of that. Yeah. Which is why, like, people talk about, like, well, I don't want my tax money to pay to keep people, these killers alive. Well, that's great, except it's more expensive. More taxpayer money is going to pay when someone is sentenced to death than when they're kept alive for their whole life because those appeals are all automatic. I don't get that either. Like, why can't I just shoot you in the fucking head? Well, think about how many people are innocent, though. You're just going to shoot them in the head. I mean, if you're already doing it, and it's more expensive, and you're doing lethal injection, we're saying that a lethal injection is more expensive than feeding a man for 30 years. They did did reinstate firing squad in one of the states. Right. Um, It would be a special kind of bullet. I don't get it. No way will you live when they do this, but it costs $7. And with him, too, it's like... Ron DeSantis, um, Ron DeSantis had to sign his death warrant or, you know, whatever. So it's like, again, I, I don't know how, how long after his appeals were done with that right. it's like, finally, they because they were like, finally, he signs the death warrant. And right. then, so um, I'm not, I'm not pro death penalty, but I'll bet Ron DeSantis had a great big old heart on when he fucking signed that thing because he's a giant <laughs> piece of garbage too. So I can't stand it either. <laughs> Sorry. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Fuck him. But it's, he, you see too, like when people are like, "Oh, they're they've they're gonna execute so and so." It's the first time that's been ha- done in fifty years in this state mm-hmm. or whatever. I don't know why they wait so long. It's so bizarre. Right. Well, I mean, like I and like I say, I don't know that it's the fifty years part. I don't know how long all those appeals take, but that's why yeah. it costs more is yeah. because all you're paying all those lawyer fees and everything 
for all of the appeals that they do that are automatic, which... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. So that's that's what's more expensive about it. It's not more expensive to flip a switch. It's more expensive to go through all of those lawyer fees and things like that. So Yeah, for the longest time, I thought, like, the meds and stuff, I was like, it costs that much for those injections? My goodness. What kind of drugs are they giving them? (laughs) (laughs) But no, that makes sense. But um, also, and also, too, speaking of appeals and games that Bobby liked to play, Mm -hmm. after his, like, death, certificate or warrant or whatever was was signed he appealed like three more times of course he did apparently he has epilepsy and so it was they he tried to claim it was cruel on you and unusual to inject him because it could trigger a seizure or whatever <laughs> and i love it Ch- chanel williams family will go on um in when he is executed and then they're like i don't give a fuck how you feel how the i mean they didn't use the f word but how do you think our daughter our right. sister niece felt right. that night when you brutally beat her so and so her? i'm not pro death penalty but i'm absolutely pro cruel and unusual punishment yeah. and i think they should have just fucking set a strobe light outside of his fucking cell and just let him see his away because fuck that guy I, but i'm not i'm not pro death penalty but <laughs> i think we could torture him i am totally down for that there's something wrong oh, with my head. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're funny. I mean, we like. There's DNA evidence that he did it, so that makes me feel at least a little bit differently about it. I've, I, but it's I hard waffle. because there's so many. I feel like I until we are 100 percent right, yes, all of the time. That's the thing. The justice system is too broken for exactly. it. Exactly. Right so, but so I, I do feel like though that we could torture him. I'd be okay with that. Yeah. No. Because we, well, we know I mean, for sure, when we know for sure, as we do here. Yeah, we, we do. We have, yeah, absolutely. We have survivors. Yeah. If we have pubic hairs, that's it. Yeah, that's we're it. done. You're done. Let's do it. Yeah. Torture the guy. So, they did get it done on May 24th, 2019. Bobby Joe Long was... 2019! 2019! <laughs> just a couple years ago. Yeah, just happened. He was 65. Oh, my God. He was put to death at 6.55, May 24th. Quietly, without opening his eyes, which was a little bit of a letdown, I know, for Lisa, who said she wanted him to see her first when he looked into the crowd. Um, but he would not open <laughs> his eyes because he was a coward. Ass. And after being asked if he had any last words, he quietly whispered no. And he was... Good. Shut the fuck up. up. No one wants yeah, to hear no what you words. have to say anyway. You're done with Hope words. wherever you are right now, they're pulling out your ball hairs one at a time with fucking <laughs> tweezers and then putting uh, that aftershave that burns right on them. Yeah. <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> In attendance were survivors Lisa McVeigh, no- now Noland, and Linda Nuttall. Who was also a survivor and an interesting note on Linda. She was um, actually raped the week of Memorial Day weekend in 1984. Mm-hmm. The old fashioned classified ad trick he had used so many times before. Okay. Bobby had responded to an ad Linda and her husband put up about selling furniture and made sure to come when her husband was not home. Of course he did. And raped her while her two children were in the house. Oh my God. Luckily, she was not one of his murder victims as this was in the middle of his murder spree. Right. So, and luckily the kids were unharmed as well. Oh, oh my God. And I'm sure he had no qualms about doing it with the kids in the house after fucking oh, what no. his mom was like. Uh-huh. I'm just going to oh, fuck right, guys true. right here in the bed next right, to you. So normal. Yeah. Yeah. Those kids can just see this. Gross. 
In addition, there were over two dozen relatives of the surviving family members of the victims, such as Vicki Elliott's family and Chanel Williams. They got to speak to the media, and they spoke of their pain, they spoke of their loved ones, and they spoke of their strength and gratitude for justice to be served. I'll end with a quote from Lisa. Her strength is so powerful and moving in this message. Her quote, Bobby Joe Long, people ask me what I would say to you if you were standing in front of me. And here is my answer. Bobby Joe Long, thank you. Thank you for choosing me instead of some other 17-year-old girl. The reason why I say thank you now is because I have forgiven you for what you have done to me. Had I not forgiven you, I might as well be in my own prison without walls. God has shown me the only way to be free when someone bestows injustice against you is complete forgiveness. While I have changed forever, and for the better, I choose not to remain a victim, I choose to live. To Cindy, Sarah, and Chris, his ex-wife, daughter, and son, my prayers go out to you. I can't even imagine what you all had to endure as a family throughout the last 35 years. God bless all of you. I would also like to thank Vicki Elliott's family. They inundated the governor's office with phone calls and emails throughout the years in hopes for ladies' justice to swing her sword. I hope this brings your family and other remaining victims' families closure and peace. I end my statement with one more thing for you, Bobby Jolong, to hear me loud and clear. Hear my roaring voice. May God have mercy on your soul. Long overdue. To be the kind of woman who says... I'm glad you picked me and not somebody else. I know. I almost lost it when I said that because the tears are real, guys. The what? The tears are real. An absolute badass motherfucker. Yeah. That's fucking incredible. I mean, she's the kind of people that you just don't come by but once in a lifetime. No. I mean, to be so emotionally mature, so smart, so intelligent, so compassionate, mm-hmm. so strong, so heroic. Right. Someone who rose from the ashes like the phoenix. Oh my god! Just uh. amazing. And actually, and um, she's a sheriff's deputy now. <gasps> yes. And she works in the special unit that focuses on sex crimes against children. Oh. So she's just oh a god. she's just an all around saint. Fucking really amazing. Is. That's incredible. And that is our story. Oh my god! On Lisa McVeigh, Bobby Joe Long. The monster but more importantly as well lisa and all the other victims yes so um i'm not happy that you destroyed me <laughs> but thank you for for redeeming me at the end making me feel yeah. better yes because that was that was she was incredible she she is and I, it's i really recommend everybody please go out and hear her speech hear her talk hear her interviews she's just inspiring i yeah, mean i mean it's we're all in the room crying right now so. and it is you just feel it vibrate off of her she's yeah. just got this like core strength that you can tell just comes from deep within mm-hmm. and i mean she's the kind of person that if you were in a situation you would want to see she'd be, she'd be the first person you'd want to see like right it would be yeah and this is the episode that you study so you know what to do if you're ever in that situation yeah. yes you do exactly you like when you're there you go what would lisa mcveigh do yes. what would lisa mcveigh what would lisa do, McVeigh do? Yes. Because that's incredible to have that kind of wherewithal to do all of we that. Work. Absolutely. Right? What would Lisa McVeigh do? Lisa McVeigh, if you're listening, let us know if it's okay to make shirts for you. We can, yes. We can and give you the so profits you know. or something. We absolutely love w- you and adore w- you. W- right, you're amazing. L-M-D. Right? Love it. <laughs> oh. All right. Well, Beth, any closing thoughts? Um, 
I'm I'm probably gonna go cry now. <laughs> I, oh my god, I have another whole episode to tell, so we'll see about I know. that. <laughs> well, I'm so sorry I wrecked you, but Lisa, thank you for bringing us both back up to a good place. Right, absolutely. One thing I did think of, like you know, I don't know, an hour ago before you broke me, uh, we were talking about domestic violence. So I pulled up on my phone. Anyone who is listening and who is experiencing domestic violence, there's help out there for you. So you can call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's uh, 7233 uh, to get help. They also have a chat feature and a text feature. You can text START to 88788 to get help. Please get help and get out. Wonderful. Thank you. That was perfect. Uh, and last, I guess we should probably tell you our, our uh, socials. I definitely forgot to do that in the last episode I recorded. So uh, you can find us on Instagram to see pictures from our episodes at Mombies Horror. You can see our fun videos on TikTok at Mombies Horror. And you guys start answering some of the questions we put out there, dude. We want you guys to tell us what yeah. you think. We want your opinions. We don't just want to hear our opinions. We, we know our opinions. We want to know what you think. Uh, that's also at Mombies Horror. Uh, Facebook, we are Mombies Horror Podcast. We have a Discord, also Mombies Horror Podcast, which we're trying to get going, get our rules up, and then it's going to be like the place to be. Uh, we also have, uh, if you have case suggestions, things that you want to hear, you can email us at mombieshorror at gmail.com. Or if you're a Backstreet Boy and want to collab, that's where you would email us. <laughs> and Hit us um, up. BSB. Right. That's right. BSB for life. And uh, lastly is our Patreon. We have so far two bonus episodes you guys are not going to want to miss next month's bonus episode it's gonna be amazing so Truly. make sure that you i'm excited <laughs> for it <laughs> i can't wait um so make sure that you sign up for that you'll be supporting the podcast financially to help us make our sound better uh make events better we are working on bingo oh we have a date for that too so be on the lookout for all that information Yay, and i think so that's exciting it. Yay. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Come back next week to hear another episode. And in the meantime, sweet dreams, spookies. Sweet dreams.